welcome to this edition of the Hindus Parley on a topic of great interest in the field of education, which is testing students in the midst of a pandemic. I have with me Professor Anita Rampal, Professor and former Dean, Faculty of Education, Delhi University, who has conducted research into several aspects of curriculum and teaching. I also have Mr. Uday Gaunkar, Headmaster in the Karnataka Government School System, who has done innovative work in science teaching and learning, especially in the rural context. Welcome. Now, Mr. Gaunkar, you would have a different kind of experience uh, being in a rural setting. So, would you uh, share with us what, what you think uh, you know, is the level of preparation for students, uh, you know, in, in, in your experience uh, with, in the countryside and with uh, deprivation in terms of, uh, you know, access to internet and devices and so on. Yeah, sir, I'm working in a, a state-run school uh, for 10th standard, 8 to 10th standard. Uh, last year, 2021, only 80 to 85 days of uh, physical classes were held. Normally, one academic year should have 200 uh, working days. Uh, students got only 50% of the uh, classes, but uh, syllabus, it, it is also reduced by 30%. Uh, so, uh, there is a mismatch. Uh, school days reduced to 50% and uh, syllabus is only cut by 30%. So, uh, we are forced to, uh, yeah, teaching... It's, uh, it's not, we, we are forced to teach hurriedly. It is like a, a hurriedly means a, a completing the syllabus in the, uh, in, in 80 days or 70, 75 days. Uh, completing the syllabus means what I meant, uh, Madam can explain, uh, completing the, what is completing the syllabus. Uh, it is actually, uh, it is a, uh, it is not at all learning. Uh, meaningful learning include, involves a uh, lot of interaction between uh, uh, students, teachers, and community. Uh, so a good learning environment uh, can help students to construct their own knowledge. Uh, but uh, in this different scenario, uh, we are forced to uh, complete the syllabus in the sense uh, it is like question-answer type of uh, interaction between students they have to uh, teachers are uh, yeah dictate uh, notes and uh, they memorize and they, they that is that is the preparation they have done in uh, 70 to 70 days 75 days but government of karnataka yeah uh, uh, they tried uh, broadcasting more also uh, some efforts were also done by government of karnataka uh, video classes were broadcasted in Doordarshan uh, and even in YouTube also. But uh, uh, ours is a very remote, uh, it is situated in a remote area in rural hillside. So, um, network and mobile, the students only, uh, only, only even 30% students have smartphones. Uh, others have keypad phones, some have, do not have. So, uh, so that attempts uh, 
where actually uh, so uh, students found it very difficult to get access to those YouTube uh, videos. Sir. So, uh, Professor Rampal, I, I wanted to ask: uh, Do these uh, do these methods like using television and the internet and uh, maybe even these newer apps and so on? Do they actually, uh, you know, what's what's their efficacy in terms of pedagogy? Uh, very poor. For for decades, we have struggled to even move beyond just chalk and talk and staring at the blackboard. Because that itself is not pedagogy. That's not learning. Uh, so now we seem to be losing a lot of the work that we may, you know, a lot of the work we may have done with teachers or with students in the last few decades to say that learning happens not individually, not by a lone learner. It happens by discussing with others. It happens with group work. It happens through some engagement, uh, either with activities or engagement with the world around you. And uh, right now, just asking students to stare uh, at a screen is much worse than even staring at a blackboard, I'm afraid. So this is not learning. This is just a kind of coaching, a kind of, you know, what, uh, it's like a substitute. It's like something that's on the side. If you have done some learning, but then you want someone to help you revise something, this is what, and that's why. This has been pushed quite relentlessly by uh, the, the industry, the industry of education technology, because this time they've really had it big. Uh, you can see the kinds of billionaires which have come out of this industry. And many decades, last at least two decades, most educators in our country have tried to resist the pressures of the computer industry. You know, it's said that you must have smart boards and you must have computers in the classroom. We have said that that can only come in as an add-on in uh, places where there are enough resources uh, other than the basic essential resources you need for actual teaching and learning. But they cannot substitute for engagement, activities, experiments, and discussions between learners, between learners of different backgrounds, of different ability groups, because that's what our theories tell us, that that's the best kind of learning happens there. You know, uh, people with, who come in with different abilities and then engage with some idea and bring their own experience to bear. So this is sad. It's sad because this uh, pandemic not, has not only devastated uh, the lives and livelihoods of a majority of our children, but it's also exacerbated the divides. You know, normally when a board exam comes, we know that there are children from children from such disparate backgrounds who are taking that same exam and are going to be examined and marked for that same question, irrespective of the kinds of resources, irrespective of the kind of schools or the teachers that they've had or not had. Uh, but now this is an added layer to that divide. And this digital divide seems to be overwhelming. It seems to have totally taken up the discourse in education, so much so that now the government is bringing out guidelines recently, just two, three days back on home learning and homeschooling. You know, I mean, almost putting the responsibility now on the learner and on the family instead of the system. And I think that is going to be very, very damaging. 
I want to remind us that the Right to Education Act, when it came in 2010, the ministry had appended to the act a very, very significant note, a justification for each of the clauses, and one very important justification for all of us who are educationists, who are child rights activists, who have engaged with this uh, a right to education for the last few decades was that if a child is not able to learn, then it is not the failure of the child, but it is the failure of the system. Because we have not been able to provide a, a, an environment which is congenial and supportive of the child's learning. So don't fail a child in uh, by taking a, a test in class eight or taking a centralized test in class eight, because that is going to be very, very unfair. And no failed child can actually be converted into a motivated learner after that with the same kind of environment. So I'm just saying that this was given to the Supreme Court when the Right to Education Act was promulgated. We want to remind ourselves that today what is going to happen, where is the system going to take responsibility for all these lapses, for all these uh, sort of inabilities to be able to connect with our students? Because we need to connect with them, not just in terms of pushing the syllabus, as Uday has just said, uh, you know how we are, you know, they are completing the syllabus but also connecting with them emotionally, connecting with them to support their agency, to give them the confidence because many, many, many students are going to drop out of the system completely after the pandemic is over. And that is a worry. So it's not just a matter of what marks we'll give them for the class 12, but it's really a matter of are we going to keep them, support them and allow them a self-esteem and dignity of being a, an able learner, a motivated learner, and a learner with greater aspirations for uh, struggling for further education uh, despite this year and despite the board exam. Which actually brings me to this uh, question, uh, what can feasibly be done this year, uh, you know, if, if this is not the perfect system, you know, uh, what we're talking about. So what options do we have this year and perhaps you know, by compulsion, even the next, if the pandemic doesn't win. Uh, should I come in? Yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. So this year, I think all the state boards, because uh, some of them have not yet taken their decisions as to how they're going to be marking them, but should make sure that they have done, they've looked at assessments, they have looked at what students have done, and uh, they even now, if there are ways in which they can uh, connect with students and try and see what their uh, learning has been. I don't like the word learning loss because, again, it puts the responsibility on the student. I think the youngest children have learned a lot. They've learned difficult lessons of life and living. And so we shouldn't be calling it learning loss. But uh, so that is one thing that, uh, you know, how do we do this? And that's what the school can do. Boards are very distant, remote entities. So I think schools should really do that in a decentralized manner. First, look at students and support them and then assess them in in a long term. So if they're in class 12, yes, look at them, look at their class 10, class 11, look at all kinds of uh, profiles, look at all kind of work that they may have done and assess them. But this is more like a formality done and finished. Uh, 
of course, as I said, if students have not had online classes at all, the school will need to take a call on that. How do they assess their internal assessment? So I think they'll have to be very empathetic and uh, careful and fair. But for next year, I think this should be a call for next year that are we prepared? Are we rethinking these assessments? Are we going to rethink what we have said for years? All our policies down the decades have said that our exam needs major reforms, that it cannot be this one day, one three-hour performance, and you know everything hinges on that, that it should be continuous assessment. The right to education has said up to age 14 that it should be continuous and comprehensive assessment, but the system never heeded to that. It never did that, and it, what it did instead of that was a, a very, very poor uh, substitute of what they called, what the CBSE called uh, continuous assessment. And then the CBSE was also told that it did not have a role in talking about assessment for uh, middle school, you know, for elementary education. So they were, in fact, kept out after that. But we need that. We need a rethinking on continuous assessment, which is built with performance. When I say performance, it means it's authentic performance. It's not just a mark on a paper. It's authentic abilities, which we have been saying that we want the system to help students develop, whether it's their expression, whether it's writing, whether it's observation, whether it's abilities to uh, do critical thinking and abilities for a lot of experimentation and uh, deep thinking and, you know, analysis of various kinds. So it should hinge on a different process of learning. And it should then tie with that process of learning, because unless you've done that process, you can, can't assess students on that process. I can't assess students on their observation abilities if I haven't really done that in as part of the school uh, program. You know, if I only made them memorize and uh, memorize notes, just like uh, our, our friend Uday was telling us, then you cannot even change the assessment. And that's the pity. Because even now, when CBSE was asked to give an option, it had given an option. Luckily, that was scrapped, that we'll ask them multiple choice questions only and one mark questions in a physical mode. We'll make them come to school, which endangered them in all possible ways. And then we'll make them do these one mark questions. And you have to see the nature of these one mark questions to realize how irrelevant and meaningless these are. Uh, and why should we be then giving so much premium to this, to whatever marks they might get in these kind of uh, tests? This is what uh, I think Karnataka was also thinking of doing for their board exam in class 10, even though they said they're not holding it, but they said in July they might call them and do a multiple choice. Now, this is what the system thinks that is easy because for them they can... Uh, you know, they can computerize it, they can mark it very easily, they don't have to go into the trouble of reading what people have written. But I think we have to move away from the system's convenience to meaningful learning and meaningful assessment, because otherwise we are playing with the lives of a lot of students and they are wasting time. I can say that they're wasting their entire board year, class 12 year, doing things which are not really enhancing their learning very much. And those who managed to pay up for expensive packages, I know students in Delhi who were telling us that they pay up for a four-year package 
coaching institutes which allow them to enter engineering or medicine entrance exams and that that's all they're doing in four years and that helps them much more than anything else that they're doing so i think that we need to really rethink and take charge of the learning process and tie assessment into more authentic assessment of children's actual performance and abilities thank you uh, pro- pro- mr gaunkar uh, could you could you highlight uh, how science can be taught you know in an environment where uh, students cannot physically attend the campus or uh, go to a laboratory what choices yeah. do we have to teach yeah. science yeah okay and before that i would like to add one more point uh, karnataka in karnataka department of education already announced that uh, all the students who are studying in the 10th standard 2021 uh, will be promoted to 11th standard uh, maybe uh, for technical reasons they are conducting uh, this board exams but uh, my 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 uh, yeah it is uh, this type of this is only for this year or next year it is not the problem but this type of summative written test alter the uh, learning environment uh, this board exams uh, definitely uh, yeah transformed the schools into tuition centers uh, so it is the question where the board it is, is it necessary to have board exams that that is the main question i have uh, as far uh, your next question is i think uh, about science teaching yeah yeah okay yeah now uh, uh, multiple choice questions are uh, uh, only multiple choice 40 questions of uh, multiple choices uh, students will face and uh, uh, it is like uh, uh, newton's law they they uh how how can they uh test whether he understood the newton's law or faraday's law or any laws of the science or any concepts of science how can they how can they evaluate also wondering uh, during the pandemic you know how can you provide instruction to students in the current environment where they cannot physically attend science particularly other other things you can actually give a lecture and you know it might at least uh, in some sense substitute for uh, you know attending a class though not completely but in science you have to be hands on you have to go to a lab and you have to do experiments and so on so how how do you uh, achieve an equivalence in the current situation yeah last year uh, last year uh, bgvs bharat gyan vigyan samiti members of bgvs most of them are teachers they started watar shala watar shala means uh, neighborhood school uh, a small geographical area is called as watara uh, where students interact even in the lockdown period also because uh, in uh, they they knew each other because they interact uh, they share one playground they play together even in lockdown period also we thought that uh, students can be yeah there there is a scope for a small uh watar shala shala one uh, teacher or a volunteer will help the students to learn for themselves it is uh, like uh, self learning 
For example, I would like to quote one activity that we have we developed. Uh, it, that activity is called as electricity bill activity. Children collect electricity bills from uh, their friends from various households of their in their neighborhood. They transfer the data collected from that electricity bill into another form, another table or uh, that uh, information is uh, can be tabulated. Then they use that information uh, to get uh, various inferences. For example, uh, what is the per capita electricity consumption in that area like that. So this type of uh, worksheets and the activity sheets we have developed. This year also we are trying to develop uh, these type of activities. Okay, which, which brings me to the question of, uh, you know, the standardization that everybody so craves. I mean, people are always interested in some standardized measurement. So I'd actually like to ask Professor Rampal, you know, we, we have actually, uh, I mean, centered our system around one school leaving examination, like class 12 which, uh, you know, until recently, it was the only measure by which you could get into higher education. Now, of course, the government is talking about, uh, you know, different kinds of standardized national examinations to uh, enter higher courses. So, uh, is, I mean, uh, is the present situation conducive to having a kind of standardized exam? Do you at all think that's warranted? Professor Gaukar is saying that, uh, you know, you don't really need, uh, you know, uh, exit examination of the kind we have. Any thoughts on that, Professor Rampal? Yes. Uh, one, I want to say that examinations which are meant as entrance examinations, they are meant to be selective and the nature of the examination is different. It should be different because you have a large number of people, you have fewer seats, so you actually take a selective examination. But a school examination does not have to be selective. And it should be a school leaving and it should be based on what you really have learned right through the period or right through two years, whatever is the period in which you're being assessed. And that is much more healthy. It doesn't have to be standardized. Standardized are never very good formats for uh, children, assessing children's learning because education is really rooted in a child's environment. And uh, uh, the more decentralized an assessment, the more rigorous and better that assessment is, the more it discerns and discriminates between students' learning because it actually knows what the child has done. And that's why assessments which are made in a block, in a district, assessments between groups of schools, when they decide how do we best assess students uh, from this you know, after they have done this, these kind of activities, and I'm going on, I'm insisting on activities as part of learning, not just rememorizing from a standardized textbook. So I'm saying that you could have a common textbook, as we all know, but the way to assess and the best way to assess is really more decentralized. And that is why I'm reminding us that the Right to Education Act said, don't take a centralized assessment either for selecting or admission admissions of students into school or for any other purpose. In fact, it didn't even want any selective uh, entrances till the end of class eight, till after class eight, because that hampers learning and that encourages these, uh, the regimes which are 
teaching to the test, not really teaching and learning for better performance and better understanding. So I think that uh, all our assessment theories tell us that the better assessment is done in a trusting environment. And then we have ways, we have statistical ways of seeing that, you know, these are not unfair or these can be moderated in ways that actually don't get skewed for any one particular uh, state or any one particular um, district. But the examination ideally should be decentralized, not a standardized. The standardized process of giving a common exam should be only kept for entrances and for selective purposes, not for authentic assessment of learning. Well, that's that's a very refreshingly, uh, you know, good perspective. So, uh, but then I will come down to one of those nitty gritty points of this year's assessment as CBSE has, uh, you know, drafted it. They have spoken about a results committee in every uh, school, which in essence is a bit of a decentralization in the sense that the committee has a lot of leeway in, you know, formalizing the results. Uh, any any ideas of uh, whether that is a sound approach? Because forty uh, percent of uh, the marking will be at the you know plus two level, that is the class twelve level, and uh, the results committee has an important role to play there. So, Professor Rampal and both Mr. Gaunkar also, would you come in on this? Okay, uh, you know uh, to have more uh, sort of some external component also some people who can understand uh, assessment should be in these school committees, uh, who also look at fair distributions, you know. I mean, for instance, I'll give you an example of our own university assessments when we do it, say, for a course like uh, a teacher program like BEAD. We've got many colleges under our faculty who do, and it has a large component of internal assessment. So when they come, uh, if if and we've uh, especially in our four year program we've got a very good system because they all come with samples every year we moderate that and moderation doesn't mean plus give minus five or give plus five we actually look so colleges come with samples of work they come with samples of their best highest marks and samples of their lowest marks so they come with a spectrum of the assignments which they've marked and colleges look at each other's work and then they decide, you know, whether it's fair, whether they all fall within a fair distribution or some are very skewed. If one college is giving everyone more than 90 percent marks, whereas others are not, then they go back to see what was the, what were those samples which are marked so highly? Are they really do they really deserve these kind of marks? when you look at the larger sample of all the students across the colleges. But this is a this is a, a challenging process. It needs time and patience and careful rigor, which you need to evolve over the years. I I can I don't think that all colleges and all subjects in Delhi University must be doing a similar exercise, but in education we have tried to do this for very long. So I'm saying even within the school system, this will have to be evolved, that some mechanism in which you see that it doesn't get skewed and it's fair and you can someone can actually even assess the samples to say that the 90% of one is equivalent to the 90% of another place. But this needs, as I said, it needs work and it needs people who understand that and who can do it with some uh, rigor. Mr. Gaukar, you had submitted a report uh, to the, 
either to the uh, you know district authorities or to the government about uh, improving uh, you know teaching yeah bgbs submitted report last year to the a committee set up by the government uh, to look into the this uh, online class classes uh, yeah we recommended on the uh, our experience of watarshala was very helpful uh, so uh, we gave some information data collected by a national sample survey uh, about uh, the access of internet and uh, availability of devices and everything so uh, we recommended that it is injustice uh, to have online classes for uh, secondary uh, school students because it will not uh, reach all the students and another part is uh, we recommended uh, some paper based activity sheets and uh, learning kits to provide uh, we even uh, tried and uh, uh, we know the results also so we gave all these uh, inputs to the government so what did you find actually if i can just press you on that uh, what did you actually find from the national sample survey and uh, you know the the remedies for uh, the divides yeah uh, 70% of the students uh, they are living in uh, rural areas they out of them only 6 to 7% uh, only 2% uh, have in, uh, computers in their home laptops or computers and uh, Uh, only ten uh, to twelve percent of the uh, students know how to handle uh, the computer and internet, and so many other things. I will uh, share the report with you. Uh, and uh, devices also. Uh, students have to share one device with uh, their parents. Uh, so. there is no such uh, uh, mobile phone uh, the the uh, like uh, students don't have mobile phone with them they have to share with their parents and uh, most of the students have only that uh, basic keypad uh, mobile phones uh, no smartphones and even more than 20% students don't have mobile phones at all so we recommended that it is a very it is injustice uh, providing education or this online classes uh, or broadcasting mode of learning uh, even chandana television broadcasting uh, reached uh, more than 60 to 70% students but uh, this uh, as madam said uh, this ppt presentations without uh, any interaction uh, it is actually not at all learning learning is much more than that there should be interaction with uh, uh, their peers their uh, teachers their neighbors and their surroundings with the uh, environment so uh, student lost their interest in uh, even uh, that uh, video classes uh, broadcasted in chandana tv so would it be actually accurate to say that this is a lost year professor ampa uh you know um i i find that word demoralizing for most people zero year or lost year so i and a lost learning loss as i said i never want to use that word 
I would rather say what kind of learning happened, even in the most devastating uh, conditions. You know, students grew up, I mean, young children grew up much faster because they saw uh, such difficult challenges all around them in their homes. They saw death, they saw loss of livelihood. So a lot of learning happened there. But uh, yes, we must be more sympathetic and we must have compassion. So it's a year which needs compassion. And so whatever we do in terms of reaching out to children, we must reach out with nutrition. Schools did not, if schools are closed, we can always reach them with the kind of rations that they needed and much more. Uh, re so reach out with books, reach out with workbooks, read out with worksheets and try to get to them as some teachers on their own have tried to do. Uh, find spaces, find ways in which you can constantly give them confidence and boost their self self image, their self esteem, because that is what is getting uh, most damaged. You know, this kind of you make them memorize and sort of regurgitate some information is not going to help very much, even if you give them a lot of marks in that. I think ultimately we have to keep them and their interest in education alive and their agency uh, supported and promoted. So just to conclude, I'd like to ask you if uh, conditions don't really improve for children to go back to class, uh, physical class. Uh, what would you do for uh, 2022, the exam season of 2022? How would you uh, recommend uh, that people plan for that? I would like to ask both of you, maybe starting with Professor Rampal. I would say that we should be prepared uh, to run schools only when there are lean periods within the waves, within the surges, when it's safe. Certain areas may be more safe. So we should actually plan for schools being also being run in surges you know in in periods when the pandemic and is not uh, raging and in that time try and maximize the time to keep them to keep them engaged not just again give them a memory based uh, bombardment of information but get them to engage and to do some work to together to support them because there may be things that they've lost confidence in uh, over the year and then assess their learning as it goes you know so if we are open for a month or two months give them some opportunities to learn and assess them in a continuous way and continue doing this I mean we have to be really ahead of just the way as the disease may come in waves I think we should be prepared to have learning and assessment in in similar waves and with more importantly, also keeping in touch with them at home. We can use whatever phone, whatever device there is just to keep in touch with them, talk to them, uh, maybe hand out, give them some handouts, give them worksheets to do, bring them back. You know, those are things which schools have done when they wanted to do them. So I think that kind of assessment and learning, so assessment should be closely tied to learning and to an emotional support and a compassionate understanding of children. Mr. Gaukar, on the same question? Yeah, it is an opportunity also uh, to to look into this uh, matter uh, in the in a different way. Uh, the school education should be uh, how it should be. Uh, yeah, because already I said that uh, these board exams uh, made the school into tuition centers. Uh, now, uh, 
yeah, we can make this again a learning space uh, by providing uh, a real experiences rather than this uh, type of virtual experiences. And uh, there are so many, uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, students learn knowledge in a, a very fragmented way that uh, it is language and it is science, it's mathematics. I think it is be- it is a right time to uh, look the knowledge in uh, one body of knowledge and uh, even uh, children are fragmented, the classes are fragmented like uh, age-wise. So now we can club as far as possible Children can learn with their uh, elders' help also. So, uh, it is time to rethink on school education. So, with that, I think uh, we can conclude today. I am deeply thankful to both of you for joining me. And I look forward to interacting with you in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Anand. Thank you, ma'am.